Hey friends, before we start today's episode, we would like to ask you a huge favor. As you know, our show is now financed through the generosity of donors and sponsors. We are going to be doing a Kickstarter crowdfund in the near future to finish season two. And if you can go to exorcistfiles.tv and sign up for our pre-launch page, that will help us out big time. This will ensure you are kept up to date on when the campaign goes live and get you access to some very exclusive rewards available only through the Kickstarter. Go to exorcistfiles.tv and sign up for our pre-launch page. It takes like 30 seconds. Thank you. Now, on to the show. Hello, Exorcist Files family. It's your dad joking co-host, Ryan Bethay here, bringing you a little special feed drop today. We've had a lot of people writing in and asking questions and sharing how inspired they were by Tammy Comer's testimony in the last episode of Season 1, A Taste of Honey, Part 3. Obviously, that was a very intense episode and certainly not suitable for all audiences. So we wanted to release her testimony as a standalone feature so you could hear it and also share it with anyone who may need some encouragement. Fair warning, if you haven't heard the story, it may break your box a little bit. I know it did for me. We're so grateful for her trusting us with this story. So without further ado, here's Tammy Comer's testimony of deliverance once again. As long as I can remember, I have walked with Jesus. I always hated the demonic. I I never liked scary movies. I knew that dark stuff was real, but I'd kind of avoided anything that was dark. I was raised in a Christian family. My parents were both first-generation Christians. My dad was from Mexico City and my mom is Italian. I watched both my siblings kind of go off the deep end in their teenage years and in that season of just, will I walk with God or will I party and do all the things? Watching what that did to our family, I just decided, no, I want to walk with Jesus. I felt like I had a really authentic faith. I remember having like a Christian club that I started in first grade. So when I fell in love with John Mark, he was interesting to me. He was really thoughtful, super pure. He was the most godly man I'd ever met. When we dated, I befriended this homeless man and his name was Shadow. And I said, I want to bring Shadow to church. But he was quite a dark character. John Mark picked me up in his Volkswagen bus picked up Shadow and took him to church. And I thought, this man loves Jesus and can love people who are far from him. For me, that was a sign of, I can partner with this man. We ended up getting married very young. I was 19. He was 21. Both virgins when we got married. After we got married, John Mark was like, I think I'm supposed to plant a church in Portland. And he was called into ministry in Portland, Oregon for 20 years. Portland was Great art, good food, good drinks, amazing coffee, great place to walk outdoors, hiking, you bike everywhere, but just, man, a lot of sadness. It was a beautifully broken city. And we lived right in the city for most of it. Ended up starting a church. It kind of exploded over time. We got to see God do a bunch of cool stuff and people were coming to Jesus. Our first son, was born when I was 23. And it was shortly after that, that something in my body, we could just tell something wasn't quite right. Long story short, just started having struggles with chronic illness. I would call them flare-ups. You know, 
a lot of digestive things, serious fatigue, severe brain issues to where I couldn't think, couldn't track. I couldn't remember whole conversations when I was sick. And I had a lot of signs of early dementia. I would have blocks in my memory gone. It lasted about 10 years. I ended up going to a bunch of different doctors, ended up with a couple different diagnoses, depending on if it was Western medicine or a more naturopathic doctor. When I was five, I was bit by a tick. And then when I was 11, I was diagnosed with Lyme disease. We didn't realize at the time that you could have lasting issues if you don't treat Lyme disease right away. But during those 10 years, we were like, oh, this is probably just Lyme resurgence of some sort that kind of flared up. But after about 10 years, there was this moment where I was doing some different therapies and something in my body just completely broke. At that point, I started to shake. It was like I had Parkinson's. I lost a bunch of vision. My face started having spasms. I got a ton of weakness in my legs and was losing muscle control in certain areas. I was having a crazy amount of neurological issues. This sent us on a journey to figure out what is going on. At its worst, we thought I was dying and the doctors were saying, this looks like a brain tumor. Then it was spinal tumors and it was all these things that would kill you. And I think through dealing with chronic illness, I felt like I had come to peace with dying young. I felt like I can die with dignity. I can feel really grateful for my children. By this time, I had three children. And when it got really bad, after a while, they stopped saying things that will kill you. And it was more like things that will cripple you. And that was a lot more difficult to come to peace with because the implications of having to be taken care of was just so humbling and the opposite of everything I ever thought I would have to deal with. And I never was really mad at God for being sick. It didn't feel like it was his fault. It was just a little bit confusing. I eventually was diagnosed with a rare neurological disorder on top of another neurological disorder. This particular one was primarily connected to your face. It was in the same family as Parkinson's. It had a 50% chance of increasing in your lifetime. And if it decided to increase, it would become really hard to eat, really hard to kiss my husband, to talk to my kids. It would make me look very, very weird. This disorder made it so that your face was spasming so out of control that your tongue would be going in and out of your mouth, your lips up and down, your eyes squinting back and forth super hard, your face completely contorting all over, but you having zero control over it and nothing is wrong with your brain. So you just know that you're hard to look at. And I thought, oh gosh, like how am I going to ever talk to my kids? That was harder to come to peace with, but it pushed me toward the need to do like the inner work around if I die young or if I'm crippled and have to be cared for by my husband and my children, then I need to make sure that I'm not a burden while I still have agency over my body. In that space, I wouldn't say I came to peace with it, but I came to peace with the day. And if it flared up, I'll reorient and have to re-wrestle with God about that. I lived every day with spasms all the time and with a knowledge that I probably would be crippled and die young. I ended up getting a phone call on my way to Whole Foods one day. It was my brother and he just said, hey, I just found out the craziest thing. You're not going to believe this, but it affects you. He went on to tell me that he'd been doing research on our family line, you know, recording stories, trying to just understand our family lineage. And this story had come up. 
my great-grandmother on my dad's side, who's lived in Mexico City, and I knew as a kid, she only spoke Spanish and she squeezed my cheeks so hard all the time. She was into tarot cards and palm reading, like spiritualism stuff. She had fallen in love with a diplomat who was from Cuba and they lived together in Mexico City and they had eight children together, but they were never married. And apparently they had had a bunch of sickness and I think they may have had a child die. My great-grandmother went to a fortune teller and said, tell us why we are sick and dying. The fortune teller said, it's because there is a curse that's been placed on you and your bloodline. And it's from the man you live with's wife. And up until this time, she had no idea that he was married. And apparently he had left his wife in Cuba, left her at a mental institution. And she had hired either a witch or a shaman to put a curse on my great-grandmother that the firstborn girl in every family down through your line will be cursed with terrible illness or early death. Now, what was so crazy about this was that about three years previously, we'd been going through a book where we did genograms, where you basically make a family tree and you're looking for patterns that happen in your family. And I told John Mark, look at my family tree. There is so much sickness and early death on my dad's side of the family in the women specifically. It wasn't every single one. In hindsight, it was a firstborn girl of every family. It was four generations strong and it never skipped one generation. My great-grandmother, her firstborn daughter was my grandmother who died in her 60s and was sick for probably 10 or 20 years. Her firstborn daughter is my aunt who is still alive and crippled and has had more surgeries than anybody I've ever even heard of. Her firstborn daughter died in a car accident at 16. My brother's firstborn daughter was handicapped. She was actually born healthy and then became handicapped at one and died at eight or nine. I'm the firstborn daughter of my dad. And there was just one cousin that it hadn't hit. But then I got a phone call saying that that particular cousin was just diagnosed with stage three or four throat cancer. And she's just younger than me. I'm 41. It was just very shocking. We were just not raised in any kind of church where we talked about this kind of stuff. It, we didn't even know this was a thing. What do you do about this? So I talked to John Mark. He was like, call Gary Brashears, one of his theology professors, who is a dear friend. I just called Gary and was like, Gary, is this even a thing? Because I don't want to go somewhere and have a bunch of people put their hands on me. And like, I just have not into that at all. He was like, no, it's absolutely a thing. It has power. So you need to break it. So he connected us with somebody who did deliverance work. We fasted, we prayed, we got our community to fast and pray. And when I went to meet with this man, when they called me into the room, I was going up a staircase. And as soon as I started coming toward the room, my face started spasming, the worst it ever had. I went through the doorway and my face was contorting out of control. One of my eyes would barely open. It was so weird and shocking. This man sat us down. He had me confess then. And then it was like breaking a legal contract. He just said, I called to attention the spirit that was called upon by Tammy Comer's grandmother. And he went through and just was very specific. And then he's like, and repeat after me, by the power and authority of Jesus' blood, we break this curse. And it was when I repeated it that my whole face went totally calm. And it felt like there was this tight beanie on my head. I felt it like come off my head. Then it was like I could think really clear. 
John Mark was watching and just said, what just happened? I'm like, I don't know, but something. That was October 14th of 2020. And I have been totally healed ever since. It never had occurred to me that I would get healed as a result of breaking that curse. But my healing was immediate, but also progressive because it had a domino effect. I was still doing treatments and stuff, but it was like all of a sudden I didn't need them. I was healing. And literally the mantra of my whole life since has just been, thank you, Jesus. The same Jesus that freed me, I got to know in suffering. And that is where I would say it is the most transformative work happened for me. And I feel so remarkably grateful. And I feel like people need to know that it wasn't my sin that I bore the repercussions of. It was actually my great-grandmother's sin, who was sleeping with a man who was married and never married him and was playing in the cult. It's so cool that God gives man agency to choose whether we follow Jesus or we deny him. But that also includes our decision to choose even what we do with the brokenness we come in contact with. Obviously, not everybody gets healed, but there is this empowering kindness of God that our agency against evil can shift our whole life and people's lives as we engage on behalf of others. That's like kind of crazy. It has radically changed everything in my life. I would say my healing gave me a category for gratitude and a boldness, and then the <laughs> extravagant kindness of God freeing me and feeling like God gave me a whole second chance at life. Just, I'm so grateful. I just love God so much. Today, Tammy is healthy, thriving, and she and her husband continue to minister and spread the Word of God. We know the story brings up a lot of questions for many, but as Father has shared in many episodes, we don't know why God permits people to go through things like Tammy did. The answer to that question lies on the other side of eternity. And if you ask Tammy today, she will simply respond, she's just rejoicing to be healthy. And that's something all of us can celebrate. Thanks for listening, and we will see you for another episode very soon. Hey friends, before we start today's episode, we would like to ask you a huge favor. As you know, our show is now financed through the generosity of donors and sponsors. We are going to be doing a Kickstarter crowdfund in the near future to finish season two. And if you can go to exorcistfiles.tv and sign up for our pre-launch page, that will help us out big time. This will ensure you are kept up to date on when the campaign goes live and get you access to some very exclusive rewards available only through the Kickstarter. Go to exorcistfiles.tv and sign up for our pre-launch page. It takes like 30 seconds. Thank you. Now, on to the show.